So this is part two of our sermon series, A Godly Life. And during this series, we're going to be learning about what the Bible teaches, about what a godly life is, and how we can make progress toward living a more godly life. And last week, our title was Being All His. And we talked about how God does not want half-hearted disciples. He wants us to be all His. And, and, and He wants us to love Him with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind and all of our strength. And this week, our title is You and God's Word. It's not simply uh, God's Word. It's you and God's Word. And there's a number of ways that we can learn about God. He's revealed himself to us in the world that he's created. He speaks through that still, small voice that guides us. But the main way that God has revealed himself to us is through his word, the Bible. But we're not just going to talk about the Bible today. Our title is You and the Bible, You and God's Word. So this is going to be about your relationship with the Bible. How, uh, how are you connected to the Bible? Not just facts about the Bible, but in order to make progress toward a godly life, we need to have a proper relationship with God's word. And the first part of that is that we need to have a proper understanding of the nature of the Bible. So what even is this book? Well, we believe that the Bible is not just a book of the best ideas over the centuries from wise people who are knowledgeable about God. It is not just that guys like Moses and Isaiah and Daniel and David had a really great relationship with God, and so they decided, I'm going to write some stuff down so that I can pass this on to future generations, and people can know what I know about God. This book is not the word of men about God. It is the word of God about God. It is the word of God about men and women and how we can relate to God. And it is the truth with a capital T. Here's how the Bible describes itself in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. It says, uh, sorry, I'm in 1 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All scripture is God-breathed. What does that mean? Well, it means that what we are talking about, uh, oh, first thing it means, it says all scripture, so it means we're talking about the whole Bible, the whole thing. It's not just that it contains some parts that are God-breathed and, and, uh, and, and straight from God, the whole thing, not just bits of it here and there. The whole thing is God-breathed, which means it comes from the mouth of God. Now, only a very small portion of the Bible was actually dictated by God, Right? There are some parts, like when Moses was meeting with God on Mount Sinai, uh, he gives Moses the Ten Commandments and says, write this down. And there's places uh, in a few spots, other parts of the Bible, where 
God is kind of dictating to people, I want, here's what I want you to write. Um, but the large majority of the Bible was not written that way. Right? So when Asaph, for instance, sat down to write what we now call Psalm 50, he was a godly man who was doing his best to write a great worship song. But what makes Psalm 50 scripture is that as Asaph was writing, the Holy Spirit was inspiring him in such a way that what he wrote was God-breathed. Right? That didn't happen every time that Asaph picked up a quill and tried to write a song. But it did happen on 12 occasions in which he wrote 12 of the Psalms that we now have in our Bible. And here's how that process was described in, in another part of the Bible by the Apostle Peter. He said, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Right? So the authors... They're doing their best, uh, but their best would not be Scripture if not for the work of God um, at that moment in the process of writing, carrying them along to write exactly what God wanted them to write. And so the result is a book that is the Word of God. It was written by people over a period of hundreds of years, but they were not writing their own interpretation of things. Their writings did not have their origin in their own will. They were inspired by God. And so now we have a Bible that is all God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And this speaks to what we call the sufficiency of Scripture. That is, uh, it is all that we need to be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Right? We do not need additional information that is not included in the Scripture in order to do what God expects us to do. Same idea is, is in our memory verse that we just did, um, where we said, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Right? There is no further revelation needed for us to live as God wants us to live. The scripture is all that we need to be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So what then should our relationship be with this Bible? Well, we need to understand what it is, that it is the Word of God. And as the Word of God, it teaches, corrects, and rebukes us. And that is key. Because we are tempted to resist being corrected and rebuked. Right? Nobody likes to be corrected and rebuked, especially on things that we think are important. And so when the Bible attempts to rebuke us, we resist. A lot of the time, we want to correct the Bible instead of letting the Bible correct us. When we see a conflict between what we believe to be right 
and what the Bible says is right, what do we do? Well, human nature wants to correct the Bible. Right? So let me give you an example of a place where I am tempted to trust my own judgment rather than be corrected by the Word of God. See, the Bible teaches that at the end of the age, there will be a final judgment. And all people will either go to eternal happiness with God or to eternal damnation in hell. So here's an example of, of what I'm talking about. This is from the book of Romans, chapter 2, where he says, To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil. I don't really like the idea of eternal judgment. In my human thinking, it's a punishment that's beyond what is deserved. It's too extreme for the kinds of sins that many people commute. I mean, sure, there's some horrible people out there who might deserve it, but it seems excessive for many of the people the Bible teaches will be condemned at the judgment. So, what do I do? Well, the first thing to do when you see a conflict like this between what you see taught in the Bible and what seems right to you is to figure out if the Bible really teaches what you think it's uh, teaching or what you're being told that it teaches, right? So in this case, there are some arguments that can be made for alternative understanding of God's judgment. I've looked at it, I've studied a bit, and the scripture does teach that many people will go into eternal punishment. So, now what? Well, there's basically two options. One is, I cannot, if I decide I just can't accept what the Bible teaches, and so I reject it. I decide that my own understanding of the way things should be is of greater authority than the Bible, and I say the Bible's wrong. I'm right. And there is no eternal judgment. Or, I can say, even though I still struggle to see how this is justice, the Bible has the authority to rebuke, correct, and teach me, and so I accept what the Bible says is true. Now, there's a number of things the Bible teaches that people might have problems with. Maybe your problem is with the biblical teaching that the universe was created just a few thousand years ago. Modern scientific evidence seems to indicate that the universe is much older. And again, there's basically two options. First, study the Bible and see if it really says what you think it says. If it does, then we need to submit to the authority of the Bible and conclude that we must be misunderstanding the scientific evidence. Or, in this case... There are many good Christians who have concluded that the Bible doesn't really teach that the universe is that young, and so they don't see an actual conflict between the idea of an old universe and the teaching of the Bible. Now, it's very important to see the difference between somebody who concludes the Bible doesn't necessarily teach what I was told it taught or what I thought it taught at first, and somebody who sees 
Yes, the Bible teaches this, but I reject it. Right? So um, there are questions in some case of what exactly the Bible teaches. You know, some of the issues in the book of Daniel and its prophecies of the end times are good examples. We looked at that just a few weeks ago. Good Christians can legitimately disagree about the meaning of the 70 weeks in Daniel. That's okay. Some of us are wrong and some of us are right. Not quite sure who is who, but, but there is a truth out there, but we might disagree about what it is. And it's okay if we disagree and so we have... But what we cannot do is we can't say, yes, I can see that the Bible teaches this, but I reject the biblical teaching. The Bible does not correct me. I correct the Bible. You see, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So that's the first part of our relationship with God's Word. It teaches, rebukes, corrects, and trains us. We are under its authority. The next part of our relationship with God's Word is that it can't just be theoretical. Uh, by that I mean we need to actually spend the time and effort to read and study the Bible. Right? Agreeing that we are under the authority of the Bible but not knowing what it says that's just pointless, um, right? We need to know the Bible. In order to really know the Bible, we need to have a regular practice of reading and studying the Bible. And I forgot my magic prop over here that I need to grab right now. Sorry about that. This is my uh, magic book that I have here that uh, illustrates what it means to read and study the Bible and the importance of reading and studying the Bible. So if you have a Bible at home, but you don't read it, it's just like my coloring book here that doesn't, it's just might as well be blank. If your Bible just sits on the shelf, it just might as well be blank like this book. But if you start to read your Bible and you actually pick it up and you get in the habit of regular Bible reading, you will start to see that there are actually pictures. There are things in the Bible that are actually there. And you'll start to learn about what's in the Bible. But there's a difference between reading the Bible and studying the Bible. Right? When we read the Bible, we're just kind of sitting down and you, you might read a whole chapter in five, ten minutes. And then you just, you know, you're thinking about it as you're reading it, but you're not spending time really getting into it and asking questions and, and looking up uh, things and cross-referencing and, and checking the internet to see what uh, scholars have written about this idea or that idea and, and, and doing all kinds of study kind of things. That is studying the Bible where you spend more time on a smaller section and you really dig into it and do that. And when you do that, you find that the Bible actually has so much more than what you even thought. So we need to do all those things, right? A Bible that doesn't get read may as well be a blank book on the, on the shelf. And when we read the Bible, we see the pictures in the Bible. We see what it has to say. And then when we study the Bible, that's when we really get the full picture of what it's all about. And we learn uh, so much more when we really spend the time studying. 
Now, if you find that you have a hard time keeping up the regular habit of Bible reading, here's what you need to do. You just need to add some structure to your practice, right? Use a reading plan. Set a regular time of the day when you do your reading. As with just about any habit, the easiest time to make sure you do something is to do it first thing in the morning, right? If you just say every morning before I even have breakfast, before I do anything, maybe get your coffee first. It's helpful for understanding. But um, first thing in the morning, I'm going to read my Bible. Then you won't forget to do it later. Of course, some of us, uh, you know, if you just get out of bed and just in time to rush off to do your things and you just hate mornings and that's, you're not going to get up early, fine, pick another time. But set some structure to your habit if you're struggling to keep up a regular habit of being in the Word of God. Bible app on your phone can be a really good tool for doing that. You're always carrying it with you, so you always can just pull out your, uh, your, your Bible app instead of uh, Facebook or Instagram. You can pull out your Bible and do some reading. If you use the Bible app, it's got reading plans that will guide you through uh, different types of reading plans. Recommended. Um, and then you need to study the Bible. Now, some people, they can study the Bible on their own, right? They, and really enjoy that and benefit from it. My dad was one who would do that. Often he would, uh, we'd be talking, he'd say, oh, I was studying the book of Hosea the other day, and I found this really interesting thing. And he'd start telling me about how he was reading in one of his old books about uh, different things about the background of Hosea and all these different things. And and, and this was long after he'd retired from actually doing ministry. He was just studying the Bible because he liked to study the Bible, and he did it on his own and got a lot of benefit from it. But a lot of us do this a lot better if we're studying in a group, right? So, so that's one of the big reasons why you should join a journey group. Most of our journey groups are primarily focused on studying the Bible together. Or you can join Bible Study Fellowship. Obviously, in the name right there, Bible Study Fellowship, you, you really dig into the Word and really do some serious Bible study in a Bible Study Fellowship group and, and do it together. Um, or we have Wayland Baptist University right here in town where you can actually take classes in the Bible and do like formal study where you're doing research and writing papers and getting college credit for your study of the Bible. There's all kinds of options but the point is that part of our relationship with God's Word is that we need to be reading and studying the Bible. We need to know what it says and be getting a regular dose of the Bible to teach, rebuke, correct, and train us. So here's what the Bible says about how we are to interact with it. It says in the book of Deuteronomy, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. The point is that the Bible should be integrated into your life all the time. It's not just for, for uh, Sunday morning or Thursday night and, and, and Tuesday night at Journey Group and then the rest of the week. You don't worry about it. Um, it's not just also not just a private thing that you keep to yourself. This is, talking, this is saying we, we should be talking about it as we're going about our, our business. Throughout your day, throughout your week, throughout your life, you should be talking about the Word of God. It should be 
on your mind. Teach it to your kids. Discuss it with your spouse. Why should you uh, tie it to your hands and your foreheads and write it on your, on your house? Why is the Bible encouraging that? Well, it's as reminders so that you are thinking about what God and his words say throughout your life. It's easy to forget, so make reminders for yourself, however you want to remind them. I have part of the Bible tattooed on my arm. <laughs> Got a little Hebrew phrase on there to remind me of God's word. But having the right understanding of the Bible... You know, and, and knowing that it is in authority over us and, and, and even tattooing it on your body are basically useless without the third part of our relationship with God's Word. We need to do what the Bible tells us to do. We need to obey God's Word. James chapter 1. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. You know what you call it when we know what the Bible says to do and we don't do it? We call that sin. We call that failure. We call that hypocrisy. The Bible says love your neighbor and that your neighbor is anyone in need that you have the ability to help. We know that. Do we do it? The Bible tells us to forgive. Do we forgive? The Bible tells us to treat immigrants with kindness. Are we doing that? The Bible gives us a lot of instructions about how to please God and avoid sin. It's great to know those things. In fact, that's essential to, to know them and to know what the Bible tells us to do. But if you just read the Bible, if you merely listen to the word, we are deceiving ourselves. The point of reading and studying the Bible is not so that we know the right questions when the Bible category comes up on Jeopardy. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Here's the next verses from James. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and, after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in all that they do. Sometimes what we need in our Christian life is not to do more study, to spend more time reading the Word. Sometimes what we need to do is to apply the Word that we know. We need to get out there and show the love of God to our neighbors. We need to take action to show that we care about the things that God has told us to care about. We need to seek justice, love mercy, walk humbly with our God. One of my favorite biblical statements describing this kind of life that God approves is from the book of Job. 
Um, in the first verse of the book of Job, it introduces the character of Job. It says this, In the land of Uz, there was a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. And it says that he was the greatest man among all the peoples of the East. So that's pretty high praise. Um, here is a man that God approves. Here's a man who's living his life the way that God wants us to live. And later in the book of Job, he, he describes uh, what his life was like. And here's how Job describes it. In Job chapter 29, starting in verse 12, he says, I rescued the poor who cried for help and the fatherless who had none to assist them. The one who was dying blessed me. I made the widow's heart sing. I put on righteousness as my clothing. Justice was my robe and my turban. I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy. I took up the case of the stranger. I broke the fangs of the wicked and snatched the victims from their teeth. That's quite a description of the life that God wants from us. This is the kind of action that the Bible calls us to. So how many of those things are you doing? Are you rescuing the poor and the fatherless? Are you making the widow's heart sing? Are you eyes to the blind and feet to the lame? Are you breaking the fangs of the wicked to snatch the victims from their teeth? Now, this is poetic language, right? And Job was one of the greatest men to have ever lived. We probably won't measure up to all the ways that he pursued justice, loved mercy, and walked humbly with his God. Job sounds like some kind of a Christian superhero. But, but these are the kinds of things that I'm talking about when I say that being a Christian is not about winning Bible trivia. It's about doing the things that God tells us to do in his word. Of course, this section from Job, it's not a complete summary of all the things that, that the Bible tells us to do. There's many other instructions to obey. And we're not all Job. But if you don't see yourself in any of the things that Job was doing to demonstrate that he loved the Lord his God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength and loved his neighbor as himself, you don't see yourself in any of those things, then you just might be in danger of merely hearing the word and so deceiving yourself. We need to get busy doing good. So, you and God's word. We need to have the correct perception of God's word. It is the inspired word of God that has authority to correct us and correct our understanding. We need to spend time uh, that we need to, 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 to read and study God's word so that we know what it says. And then we need to do what it says. Let's pray. 
Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us in your word, that you have revealed your will to us and your expectations of us, and revealed to us the best way to live. And I pray that you would help us now to be more like Job, to, to know what you want from us and to have the, the strength of will to do it. I ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.